0: You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.wordpress.com. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, or maybe even good night, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Luke's English Podcast. This uh, could potentially be the most frightening episode of, well, frankly, anything that you've ever listened to in your whole life I'm, I'm being quite serious now um, you, you might want to just uh, think twice before listening to this episode if you're sensitive if you have a, a nervous disposition I recommend that you uh, just uh, take all necessary steps to make sure that you're feeling safe um, and protected and completely comfortable and at ease before listening to this episode of the podcast um, this episode is all about ghosts strange things, the unexplained, demons, and things that go bump in the night. I'm talking about the paranormal, ghosts, phantasms, spectres, spirits, poltergeists, unexplained phenomena, and all that kind of weird stuff that you don't really want to hear about when you're alone in the house at night. I hope you're not alone right now, because this could be the creepiest episode of Luke's English Podcast so far. It could be very scary so to help you feel okay i suggest that you maybe get a teddy bear to hold on to or a pillow to hide behind close the doors close the curtains don't look in the mirror and keep the light on at all times you could burn a candle if that makes you feel better as traditionally it's said that a flame can protect you from evil spirits ideally you should listen to this with some other people around you People say that undead spirits and demons can be attracted by accounts of paranormal activity. If someone talks about ghosts, it brings the world of ghosts closer to you, apparently, and in some cases can attract spirits into your world. So if you notice anything strange going on around you while you're listening to this, I suggest that you simply stop listening, turn on the lights, maybe get a drink from the fridge in the kitchen, and just put all scary thoughts Out of your mind. I don't believe in ghosts and uh, the paranormal myself, but who knows what is really out there in the darkness. In this episode, I'm going to tell you some very scary and strange stories which I've thought of or which are completely real and actually happen to me. I wonder what you think. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think it's really possible that our world could be visited by spirits or other beings that we don't normally see? The answer you're probably thinking of is no, I expect. No, Luke, no. That's ridiculous. There are no such thing as ghosts. I don't really believe in them, but I do quite enjoy listening to ghost stories. But no, generally speaking, I don't believe in ghosts. I think there's probably a rational explanation for everything. And I kind of agree with that. But have you ever experienced something really strange which you can't really explain and which when you really think about it without ignoring it it actually makes you very frightened now to tell you the truth i have had some pretty strange experiences myself that i can't explain and that i don't like to think about very much because it sort of freaks me out a bit personally i consider myself to be quite a rational person I don't really believe in ghosts, but I do believe there are things in the world that we don't understand yet. I don't think we should always conclude that unexplained things are the result of supernatural or paranormal causes, but at the same time, I know that there are plenty of things about the world that we don't really understand and can't even see. Even in science, there are many mysteries, massive puzzles that scientists are trying to work out even right now. Quantum physics, our basic understanding of time and space, the origins or the destiny of the universe, parallel worlds, other dimensions, the possibility of ghosts living around us or even inhabiting certain spaces in our homes or even outside our windows. These are all areas of mystery to us. 500 years ago, people were relatively clueless. People thought the world was flat that headaches were caused by evil spirits, and that tobacco was actually good for you. All of those things are completely wrong. Like, totally wrong, you know? Like, massively wrong. These are quite big things to get wrong, in fact. Imagine if we are similarly wrong about what we know now. It's quite possible, isn't it? I mean, back 500 years ago, people were probably quite sure of their beliefs, why? Uh, but they all turned out to be wrong. So why can't the same be? Ca- uh, why can't the same case be true for our beliefs now? Maybe we're all wrong about about so many things. Um, maybe we've only just scratched the surface of knowledge about the world. There could be so much more that we don't realise. Answers to the questions of what happens to us after we die, is there such a thing as the soul, and does it live on separately from us? Um are there other invisible worlds full of demons or spirits living around us that we can't see is it possible for us to disturb these spirits or upset them by doing things wrong without realizing it as i said i don't really believe in ghosts or the paranormal because i require evidence for these things but still there are things that i just can't explain and to be honest that is a bit frightening sometimes there are things I've experienced that have freaked me out and continue to bother my memory today. Sometimes these memories make me a little bit scared. Maybe it will be creepy, but I'm going to share those things with you in this podcast episode. I'm going to tell you some stories, but some real ones, not made up ones. The stories I'm going to tell you are all ones that I've experienced personally. They're not fictional bedtime stories for children or anything. No, they're not fun stories for kids. They're real accounts of some weird and scary stuff that has happened to me at various times. I don't talk about these kinds of things very often with my friends or family these days. They say it makes them feel a bit uncomfortable. A lot of people don't really like their world to be challenged by strange and unexplained things, They'd rather not think a lot about things that they don't really understand or things which are disturbing. But sometimes I can't sleep and I think of weird things I've experienced and they still make me quite scared. But they're quite fascinating to me too. So I thought I would share these experiences with you. Maybe you can explain them or maybe you've experienced similar things. Some people might say that I shouldn't talk about these kinds of things publicly or share them. ...because I could scare people... ...or even attract spirits... ...into the homes of people who are listening to this. I'm not sure about that... ...but I'd like to suggest... ...that you listen rather carefully to this episode. If you're easily scared... ...then just think twice before listening to this. It might disturb you. Don't listen just before you go to bed. Turn off the lights if you're in a dark room... ...so that you can see everything. Close cupboard doors or doors to dark rooms, so that you don't get scared when you imagine that something or someone is waiting in there while you listen to this. If you're not too scared, try to have a look under the bed or behind the sofa, because sometimes you can be very disturbed by the thought that there is something or someone there watching you and waiting. Try not to imagine dark shapes, or the idea that there is a person with you, because your mind will play tricks on you. If it's nighttime and there are windows in your room, just quickly close the curtains and make sure that the windows are sealed so that you don't worry about things that are outside, trying to get inside, and so you don't worry about seeing a face appearing in the window, even just for a moment. Closing windows or closing curtains will make you feel more comfortable because you won't be able to see whatever is out there. And if there is something out there, it won't be able to see you either. Just be careful when you close the windows. Do it quickly and don't look out of the window into the darkness. Quickly check empty rooms in your house if you aren't too scared. It can really freak you out when you get the feeling that you're not alone in your own home. And there's something or someone maybe in another room. And maybe they've been there for some time without you knowing it. So, if you can, have a quick look around the house, go upstairs or downstairs and visit empty rooms just to make your mind feel more comfortable and so that you don't get too scared while you're listening to my voice. And if you need to go to the toilet or the kitchen, you'll be frozen because you don't want to go alone. So, try to remember there's someone there in the house with you, even if you are alone, there's someone nearby and you can hear my voice and you'll be okay. You could stop listening, and wait until the daytime if you like. But I suggest that you listen to all of this, just so that you can get to the end of it, hear the music at the end of the episode, and although it might be frightening to be in silence, you know that you've completed the episode, and that's the end of the scary stories, and everything will be back to normal. Oh, one other thing. Don't look in the mirror while you're listening to this. In fact, avoid reflections of any kind. Seeing your reflection in a window, maybe even in the glass of your mobile phone or a computer monitor, um, seeing, seeing reflections can be quite dangerous in these circumstances. Mirrors or reflections are said to be like portals to the spirit world. I mean, I'm not sure I believe it, but it's better to be on the safe side, certainly when discussing ghosts or demons. Who knows what elements of old folklore are based on real knowledge that we've lost. Maybe folklore is all true to a certain extent. The subject of spirits and the supernatural was very popular in England during the 19th century and lots of strange events were documented during that period. Many well-respected people, such as Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of the Sherlock Holmes stories, were very interested in this subject and wrote about their experiences. Apparently, people used to gather together in seances, which are meetings uh, that often took place in dark rooms in houses that were said to be haunted or regularly visited by apparitions or other phantoms. So they got together in these seances in order to contact the dead or communicate with the spirit world they used various devices to contact the other side, including Ouija boards, but also mirrors. Now, what these practitioners would do was to read pages of old texts designed to attract ghosts from the other side, and then at certain key moments, they would all stare without blinking into a mirror in order to see the spirits appearing. Apparently, the mirror was one of the most common ways that spirits reveal themselves to the living. They might just appear as a shape or a shadow in the background, or sometimes even overlaid on top of someone else's face, which is very strange. Or they would appear clearly as someone else in the room, usually standing behind the people um, in the mirror. There are also lots of urban myths about standing in front of the mirror and saying special words, which brings a demon in into the room with you, with your reflection. The story goes that once the demon has arrived in your mirror, he will always be there, in any reflection of you, until you find a way to remove him. And the only way to remove him is to tell someone else about it, persuading them to say the words while looking in a mirror. The demon is then transferred into their reflection, leaving you free again. Finally, the only solution is for a blind person to say the words in front of the mirror. They then take the demon, but can't see it, and so it has no power over him. As I said before, um, traditionally people believe that spirits can be attracted by talking about them, and that describing or thinking about the other side can even make the gap between our worlds and the world of the spirits thinner, allowing them to visit us more freely That's why people tend to whisper or speak quietly when talking about these things. You shouldn't go around shouting the names of demons or spirits, especially at night, and you should not look in the mirror while listening to this, or even soon after listening to this. It's not advisable, and I would warn you not to do it. I mean, I don't necessarily believe it myself, But I don't know what you believe, but sometimes it's worth paying attention to traditional wisdom, even if science disagrees with it. Sometimes science can be proven wrong, as I said before. So avoid mirrors during this episode. I hope you're not getting too freaked out or scared by all of this, all this talk of scary monsters visiting you. Now, if you are superstitious, then, you know, do what you've got to do maybe say a short prayer, if that helps, or try repeating some words to yourself in order to make yourself feel okay. Apparently, a common thing that people can say to protect themselves from evil spirits is this, and you can try repeating this quietly to yourself if it makes you feel any better, okay? So it's, it's this, I am alone. I know they are not here. I am alone. I know they will not come. I am alone. I know they have not found me, okay? So that's just a a line that um, people say as a way of protecting themselves against evil spirits. You can say it three times. I am alone. I, I know they are not here. I am alone. I know they are not coming. And I am alone. I know they have not found me, okay? So you can repeat that, but just make sure that you get the word not in the correct position, okay? That's very important. Do not say, I am not alone, I know that they are here, or I know that they will come, or I know that they have found me. Don't say that three times while looking into a mirror, or even at any time, okay? Just do not say that. Um, I hope that's clear. If you're with someone else, good. I recommend that you maybe just squeeze the, the person's hand or maybe touch them on the shoulder just as a way to say... It's okay you're here too. If they react badly to that, like if they tell you get off or what are you doing? Just explain calmly that you're just making a physical contact with another person in order to create a protective boundary between you and the spirit world in order to prevent any weird or scary things from happening. I'm sure your friend or your loved one will understand. If you're on a if you're on public transport, you could try touching the person who's sitting next to you, but I'm not responsible for the consequences, okay? All I'll say is that sometimes people on buses and trains can be even more dangerous than ghosts, okay? So maybe think before you you make physical contact with a stranger on, on the train, okay? Finally, if you do get scared while you're listening to this or you notice anything strange going on around you, then just leave a comment explaining what has happened. It could be fascinating to read about that. Also, if you have any other strange things that you've experienced and uh, you, you, you know how to explain them, then just let us know by leaving a comment. I'm also very interested in your responses to the stories and experiences that I'm going to share with you. So um, if you think you've got an explanation or a similar experience, again, just leave a comment and tell us all about it. Okay, I think we should probably get started. So as I said, I'm going to tell you some strange things that have happened to me over the years uh, and let me know what you think. Okay, now um, I'm wondering where I should start um, here. I think I'm gonna start with um, an experience that I had when I was living in Japan. Um, As you know, I lived in Japan about 10 years ago for two years. Um, And um, in the second year I was living there, um, I spent three weeks during the summer pretty much just living alone in my apartment. Now, I was going to work every day, but I had the the apartment to myself. It was an apartment for two people. And um, I used to live with uh, another English guy, And he lived in the apartment for about 18 months before moving out. Um, And three weeks later, another guy moved in. But I had three weeks there where I was just living in the apartment in the evenings and at night on my own. Okay, two-bedroom apartment, but I was living in it alone. Okay, so three weeks alone... Um, waiting for the other flatmate to arrive from England. Now, during that three-week period when I was living in the, the, the apartment on my own, some pretty weird things happened in the flat, okay? And to be honest, I don't really know how to explain them. I'm not talking about earthquakes, although I did experience some of those. That was pretty frightening too, that should be another episode of Luke's English Podcast someday, earthquake stories. But no, I'm not talking about earthquakes, but I, I'm talking about something equally frightening, which I can't really explain. Now, basically, what happened was the kitchen tap kept turning itself on. Okay, the kitchen, the kitchen tap, that's the, um, the, the thing above the sink that you turn to get water, the tap. The kitchen tap would turn itself on. Uh, just it would just turn itself on like it had a mind of its own. So what happened was I would go to bed in my bedroom, and then in the middle of the night, I would wake up to the the sound of noise coming from the kitchen. So if you can imagine being in the being in an apartment on your own, um, in a in a foreign country that you don't you know you don't know everything about it, um, the apartment should have been quite a comfortable and safe place for me. But um, there was just this period where I kept waking up in the middle of the night when it was completely dark and quiet outside, and the kitchen tap was just running. (laughs) Like that. Now, why was the kitchen tap running? So what, what I did, I mean, I would get up, go into the kitchen and there's the kitchen tap just running uh running cold water freezing cold water much colder than usual and I'd I'd have to turn it off by turning the tap around in my hand before going back to bed okay so this happened 3 times the first two times it was kind of it was just weird but I didn't let it bother me too much but the third time was the worst because I distinctly remember before going to bed I remember making sure ...that the tap was turned off. I, you know, firmly turned the tap off... uh, ...and I made a mental note, the tap is off... ...before I went to bed. I remember getting myself a glass of water... ...and then turning off the tap... ...and then I went to bed. Now, when I woke up... ...at probably about three o'clock in the morning or something... ...when I woke up to hear the sound of the tap running in the kitchen... ...now my bedroom was connected to the kitchen... Um, So I would just open the door and then I would be in the kitchen, okay? So I could hear the sound of the tap running um, from my bed. So I woke up to hear the sound of the tap running again. Now immediately that's a strange experience because if you hear a sound that's clearly coming from inside your own apartment at night, it's quite disconcerting, isn't it? Because you think, well, what's that? That's clearly something inside and since I know that there's no one else in this apartment, what the hell is that noise? Is it Has someone broken in? Well, um, this time, the third time, I knew what it was. I knew that it was the tap running. Um, so it's pretty weird. And I did not want to get up. I really didn't. I just didn't want to have to go into the kitchen for some reason. I just was really scared. Um, but I had to investigate and I had to stop the tap because I couldn't just go back to sleep with the tap running. Perhaps the worst part of this was the moment when I had to open my bedroom door to reveal the kitchen with the tap running. For some reason, I was just sort of frozen and I couldn't, I just really didn't want to open that door because I didn't know what I was gonna see on the other side. I just had this weird feeling that there was something on the other side of the door. You know, you know when you just get a sense that there's someone there You don't know that there's someone there, but you just feel like someone is there. Instinct, I don't know what it is. Instinct, or maybe you're picking up something, some extra noise. I don't know, but I just really got a feeling there was something else on the other side of the door. So I didn't want to open it, but I could hear the tap. I had to turn it off. So I opened the door, and there was the kitchen all in darkness. And I could see the tap at the end of the kitchen. I could see the water pouring out. Couldn't see anything else really. It was just normal. But um, I had to then walk across the kitchen to get to the tap to turn it off. Now, the, the kind of scary thing was that I had to walk past the empty bedroom. There was another empty bedroom on the left. I had to walk past it. And the door to the bedroom was open. And the bedroom was empty. But on the other side of the bedroom, there were these big windows with no curtains. And this, there's something very frightening about um, seeing... Uh, windows which have no curtains at night because you don't want to look out you don't want to look out of the windows because you think that i'm going to see something out there or there's going to be a face at the window or something i just couldn't really bring myself to look so i quickly walked uh over to the tap not looking at the windows um and um turned off the tap it was very cold again as usual and um and then I had to go back to bed. And I didn't really sleep very easily. But I just thought, I mean, it didn't happen again. It just happened three times. But uh, I'm not normally scared by stuff. But um, sometimes I can't stop thinking about that tap. So what do you think? How on earth is that possible? How can a tap turn itself on? Maybe, Maybe it's water pressure. I don't know. I'm not a plumber. But maybe something to do with water pressure building up inside the pipe, which then sort of forces itself out of the tap. Maybe water which is left in the pipe just coming out. But the pipe was, you know, the tap was open. Um, another theory is maybe I did it myself in my sleep, you know, because sleepwalking is is the thing that happens. Maybe I walked to the sink, and turned on the tap, which is pretty scary in itself like why would I get up in the middle of the night do something like that and then not remember doing it when I woke up surely I would remember so I don't know I, I don't actually know I mean if you look at it rationally that's I think the only explanation that I did it myself but I the fact that I don't remember doing it at all that I don't remember waking up I have no memory of standing up going into the kitchen and turning the tap on for no reason Why would I do that? Um, So that, that explanation itself is scary. But then when you think, well, maybe it wasn't me, maybe I was in bed the whole time, what the hell was it that turned the tap on? Very strange indeed. I'm not saying it was like the paranormal. I'm just saying, I don't know what it was. Maybe you've got an idea. Now, I did tell, at the time, I told all my Japanese students about this, because I... First of all, I thought it was fascinating. And secondly, I just wanted to know what they thought because I was pretty stuck. I didn't know how to explain it. So I asked my students all about this. And um, what was quite surprising for me is that they were not really surprised by my story. They weren't really shocked or surprised. And in fact, a lot of people in Japan are quite superstitious people. Apparently, there are many different types of ghosts in Japanese folklore and the belief in ghosts and ghost stories is quite common in Japan. One particular old woman that I used to teach on Friday mornings was very knowledgeable about this subject and she told me a lot about it, saying how ghosts or yurei, that's the Japanese word for ghosts, yurei, she said in fact yurei are quite common and even accepted by most people as being just real. Apparently, these yurei are spirits of people who've been prevented from having a peaceful afterlife because of the way they died or the trauma they experienced during their life, which is basically the same explanation given for ghosts in the UK too. It's weird that ghosts feature in folklore from so many cultures around the world. And they all seem to be explained by the idea of a spirit that can't rest. Um, anyway, this woman suggested that my tap thing was caused by, and I'll never forget this name, um, it was caused by a zakishi warashi, or the ghost of a child. Apparently, zashiki warashi are often mischievous, which means that they do naughty Um, naughty little things rather than seriously scary or very dangerous things. So they just do little bad things which are not very serious. Um, They cause trouble and things like that. She said that they commonly arrive and do things during the Japanese witching hour. Now, the witching hour is the hour when witches do stuff, the witching hour. And apparently in Japan, the witching hour is between two o'clock and three o'clock in the morning now this is the hour when the most strange things happen or when most ghostly encounters seem to occur between two and three o'clock in the morning because apparently this is when the gap between our world and the spirit world is um is sort of narrowest this is when our world and the spirit world are closest just during this time the witching hour two to three o'clock in the morning and she said that strange things that happen at night in japan are sometimes attributed to zashiki warashi Um, this to be honest didn't really make me feel better because the idea that i had some little japanese child ghost in my apartment between two and three o'clock at night was not particularly fun especially when i was in the place on my own Um, but thankfully the tap thing stopped after i got a new flatmate called peter he arrived in august and everything was all right Uh, but for a couple of weeks i did have a very disturbing time alone in the apartment trying not to think about this tap um it hasn't happened to me since so maybe it was just that you know that occasion and and it's never going to happen again if it does happen again then i just will freak out i know it i've never told my girlfriend about this because I think it would probably worry her. She gets scared by these things quite easily. So what do you think, ladies and gentlemen? Have you got any idea what caused my tap to turn itself on? Any, any thoughts or any ideas? If you're from Japan, have you ever heard of Zashiki Warashi or any other types of ghost? And do you think the woman that uh, I met uh, was making it up or, or, or not? Have you heard of that kind of thing before? I wonder. Um, so that's the, that's my first experience. Now, it's not an absolute sort of uh, legendary sort of story, but uh, it is a real experience and uh, kind of something I can't explain, really. Um, now, I wonder what else I can tell you about. I've got a few other things which I can share with you. Let's see. Um, okay, uh, another one was um, the story of the bouncing ball. So I've given you the story of the, the Japanese running tap, Next story is the story of the bouncing ball. Bouncing, uh, let's say you've got a football. If you throw the football on the ground, it'll go do, 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 right? It it bounces. That's to bounce. When you drop something and it hits the floor and comes back up again, uh, that's, a, that's to bounce. So, you know, if you throw a tennis ball at the ground, it will bounce. If you throw a football at the ground, it'll bounce, if it's full of air. So, um, the bouncing ball story. Uh, This is uh, definitely a freaky story and something which I've sort of thought about again recently after sort of putting it out of my mind for quite a long time. Um, And it still disturbs me, even though I don't really want to believe it. And I I sort of um, didn't want to believe it at the time either. But thinking about it now, I don't know how to explain it. It's very weird. So as you may know, I went to uh, university in Liverpool, and I, I lived in Liverpool for four years. Uh, the first year, I spent in student accommodation in a big residence full of full of people. Okay, in the second year, um, me and a group of my friends left the student residence, and we found a house uh, in um, a neighbourhood of Liverpool called Chewbrook, um, near West Derby, and uh, we found a house which had which was a very big house, it had four floors, a basement, um, let's see, seven bedrooms, a big kitchen, big living room, and it was an old house. And uh, one of the strange things about this house was that it was on a street uh, of terraces. So terraced houses are all connected. You know, you, you see these terraced houses in English streets, long rows of houses that are all connected. Well, This street that I lived on, uh, it was uh, Russian Drive in Liverpool. Um, This street was uh, full of terraces, rows of terraces, but then there was one house in the middle of the street that was on its own, just separated, so it had no houses connected on either side. This, Just this one big house, four floors, um, that was the house that we lived in. It was number 14, um, Russian Drive. Just this one house on its own. Apparently, what... The reason it was on its own uh, was because it used to have another house connected to it, but that house um, was destroyed by a bomb which landed on it during World War Two. because Liverpool was quite heavily bombed by the Germans uh, during World War Two, and lots and lots of houses around Liverpool were destroyed by bombs, including the house next door to this one, um, so probably a bomb will have would have landed directly on it or nearby and it would have been destroyed and maybe even all of the, all the people living in it killed. Um I don't know if that has any connection to the the story, but certainly it's just a bit strange because there was this house on its own. It did used to have like a twin house next to it, but that one had been destroyed in World War Two in a bombing raid. So anyway, we moved into the house. It was great. We had our own house. It was brilliant. I was with some friends all living in this house together. It was great fun. But there were some strange things about living in this place. Well, one strange thing in particular, and that was that um, people who lived uh, at the top of the house on either the top floor or the floor below would complain about the sound of a bouncing ball. Okay. Um, Now, I didn't really believe it, and you know, I, at the time, I was quite sceptical. Didn't believe in that kind of thing. Um, but in particular, in, in particular, the people who lived in the loft room. So there was a room right at the top, right in the roof of the house, um, and uh, in fact, three people, three three people used this room over the course of the three years that we lived there. Um, one person every year, and each person decided that they didn't want to stay in that room after the first year that they'd lived there. So each person managed to stay in it for a year before deciding they wanted to leave. Um, And one of the reasons was because of the sound of this strange bouncing ball that they could hear in the roof of the house. Um, So it only happened at night, and apparently, and I did hear it myself, I did hear it a few times, which is pretty strange, but it would happen at night, you'd suddenly start to hear what sounded like a ball, like a plastic football being dropped And the ball would bounce and then stop bouncing. So it it would, you know, if you could imagine the sound of a plastic football being dropped and just slowly coming to rest. So it was like. (laughs) Like that. Okay, you're probably thinking, all right, there must be an explanation for this. Um, And that's in fact what we all thought. We spent quite a lot of time uh, talking about this, trying to work out what it was. No one ever. Managed to come up with a conclusive answer. We even crawled into the roof of the house in order to try and find out what was making that noise. We didn't find anything. Okay, there was no water tank up there. Um, you, you might be thinking it was probably a water tank. Maybe there was a ball cock, uh, which um, was a was a sort of valve system in a water tank, and maybe when the water. Uh, drops to a certain level or rises to a certain level, it causes the plastic float, the ball cock, to knock against the roof of the the, the, the water tank or something like that. Well, no, there was no water tank in there. Uh, So that's not what it was. You might be thinking, maybe there was like, I don't know, maybe something blowing in the wind. Maybe something in the wind sort of caused this thing to knock uh, against the wall or something. But... um, This would happen on evenings and nights when there was no wind, even very calm evenings in the summer. Sometimes you would hear the sound of this bouncing ball. It wasn't the neighbors because there were no neighbors connected to the house. And if you were were in the loft, it would wake you up. You'd, You'd be in bed sleeping and then suddenly you'd be woken up by the sound of And that's it. We don't know what it is. Um, Even though we looked through the roof of the house, found nothing. um, I can't think of, I genuinely can't think of a good reason why there would be a sound. Think about it. It didn't happen every night. There was no kind of telling when it was going to happen or when it was not going to happen. It didn't happen every night. It didn't happen in certain conditions. So it didn't only happen when it was raining. It would happen sometimes when it was raining, sometimes not. It didn't just happen when it was windy. So it wasn't the wind blowing something. Sometimes it happened when there was wind. Sometimes it happened when there was no wind. Okay, all of the theories that we came up with were sort of pretty much disproved. So it's the wind blowing something, for example. Well, no, because it even happens when there's no wind. It's um, a water tank. It's it's a, a float in a water tank. No, there's no water tank up there. We looked through the roof of the house. We found nothing. What was the sound? What was the sound of this ball dropping? Um, so this would really freak out the people who lived at the top. And as I said, people, um, three people lived in that loft and they couldn't stand it. They all moved out. Um, I lived on the ground floor, and even I could hear this ball sometimes, which is weird because the sound would carry all the way from the loft, all the way down three floors to the to the bottom. It's almost as if when you when this sound was happening, that it was the loudest thing in the house, just the sound of this ball. Strange, isn't it? Now, maybe it was maybe you're thinking, oh, it would have been someone in the house playing a trick, but they're not. They why would they have kept this up for three years? and I know my friends, and I know the way we all talked about it. I genuinely believe that no one was playing a trick, and how would they do it? because the sound was coming from the roof, it was coming from um you know inside the roof. it wasn't coming from below the loft, it was coming from the roof around the loft i don't know I don't know what that could be maybe. I don't know. I I genuinely don't know what that was. So, what do you think? Any idea about this strange bouncing ball sound? Tell me what you think. Um, Let's see. That's the the bouncing ball. Um, What else do I have? Okay, I've got another one. Um, um, I'm going to tell you the story of how I woke up frozen in bed, convinced that there was someone in the room. ...and how I got freaked out by a strange clock. Okay? Um, Again, I'm not saying that this is a a supernatural story... ...or the story of a ghost. It's just something strange that I can't really explain. Um, Let's see. Let me tell you the story. Okay, so this happened to me in London. So I'd... um, um, I'd spent four years in Liverpool... um, left Liverpool and eventually went to Japan, stayed there for two years. When I came back from Japan, I was living in London again. And um, at the beginning, I was living in my parents' flat. They had a flat in London. So I was living there. But the first six months were a bit tricky because my parents decided that they were going to completely redecorate uh, the inside of the apartment. So I had to move out for a month. Um, it was kind of a difficult time for me because um, I'd just been living a- abroad for two years, so I wasn't completely um, comfortable back in my own culture again. I felt kind of out of place. I felt a bit out of touch. To be honest, I was missing all my friends back in Japan. I felt a bit lonely. Um, and then then I had to move out of my own apartment, and I was living on people's sofas, living out of a suitcase for a month. Um, now, uh, one... Weekend in october i um I was staying at a friend's house in South London, okay way down in Kennington, which is an area in south london it's uh Kennington is a quite a historical place um in fact, the street uh where my friend used to live was a street where charlie Chaplin uh grew up as a child uh, It was notorious back in the sort of early part of the last century for being a very poverty-stricken area, um, lots of poverty there, very poor region. These days, it's it's a nice place to live. They've got these lovely old houses. Um, again, similar to the houses in Liverpool, they're kind of tall uh, houses, probably about four floors, again, a basement, a ground floor, and several other floors on top. Um, really fantastic big old houses with a real sense of history, And a real sense of a past and past lives who've lived in this house before. So um, my friend let me stay in his place for the weekend while I was, you know, moving around, staying with different people. And it was October, um, so it was getting a little bit cold outside. And that evening, um, it was me and my friend, just the two of us in his apartment, in, in, in his house and um uh, we were sort of telling each other scary stories trying to trying to scare each other and he told me um about his ex-girlfriend and the story was pretty weird um but this isn't this isn't the story this is just this isn't my story this is just part of it just part of the context so he said that he used to go out, he used to uh, go out with this girl um and um it was great and everything but uh, there was something strange about her, and that was the fact that sometimes in the middle of the night she would wake up. No, sometimes in the middle of the night he would wake up because she was talking in her sleep. Okay, uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, when someone in the same room is talking in their sleep. It's pretty weird. Sometimes they they actually say normal words, and you can kind of listen to them having a conversation with someone, which is pretty odd. And sometimes they don't really say anything. They just make some really scary sounds. Uh, My cousin, Oliver, talks in his sleep, but he doesn't make sense. He just kind of speaks a weird language that I don't understand. It's very strange when he's talking in his sleep. He kind of goes... (laughs) It's like... It's like someone else is talking using his mouth. It's really, really scary. Anyway, so my friend was telling me about how sometimes he would wake up in the middle of the night and his girlfriend was lying in bed next to him talking in her sleep. And sometimes she would actually sit upright. She would sit up in the bed with her eyes open. She was asleep, but her eyes would be open. And she would be talking to someone as if this person was in the room. Uh, with them and so my friend would wake up and kind of look at his girlfriend sitting bolt upright in bed talking as if there was someone sitting on the end of the bed and he would listen to her and uh, it became clear that she was talking to her grandfather so she would have these conversations with her grandfather and it was so convincing so real Even though she was just talking in her sleep, it looked so real, the expression on her face, the fact that she would be quite upset sometimes when talking, um, and the fact that she was clearly making eye contact with someone else in the room. Sometimes the person would appear to be sitting on the bed, and sometimes the person would just be standing at the back of the room, and she would be talking to him, sort of saying, no, no, you don't understand. Why are you here? Why are you here? Why did you come back? You know, that kind of thing. So and understandably, my friend used to get really scared because he would wake up and she's there having a conversation with a ghost is what it looked like. Um, And and it was really, really frightening for him. Um, And that kind of freaked me out. Just this idea that I wonder if it's possible to be visited by someone at night like that. Um, And then I started thinking, well, this is the house in which it happened. Maybe maybe she was talking to a, a person. Maybe it looked like she was sleep talking, but maybe in her, from her point of view, there was a person at the end of the bed who she was talking to. And um, in fact, she said to my friend, she told him, well, yeah, I do often have dreams that I talk to my grandfather. My grandfather visits me in my dreams and I talk to him in my dreams. And she said that, you know, people have told her in the past that she's been doing, she's done it all her life and um so that's pretty strange also the fact that sometimes she would actually walk out of the bed so she would stand up and w- leave the room talking um it's not very common that people sleepwalk but it does happen it's not some sort of paranormal thing it can be explained it's just a normal part of dreaming sometimes people get up they walk around they talk they have conversations so uh, but it must have freaked out my friend when for example uh he woke up she was talking to someone she got up and seemed to leave the room talking but he told me that he always had the sensation that when she left the room that the ghost the grandfather was still there in the room with him he felt like someone was there he could just had this strange sensation because of the way she was looking in the room that there was someone there so you know at the end of the evening um Uh, He went to bed, and I slept downstairs on the sofa, okay? And that evening, uh, I had a very strange night. Maybe it was just the fact that I was thinking about these stories that he told me, but I had a very strange night, um, and I remember waking up in the middle of the night, frozen, completely frozen. So I was lying uh, facing the wall with my back to the rest of the room, the, just to give you a bit of context, the room was quite large in two sections. There was a living room and then a, a kind of uh, uh, alcove where you could walk through to a dining room. At both ends, there were large windows without curtains. Okay, So um, at the other end of the room, the window went out into the garden um, and it was just dark on that side. And at the front end of the room... You could see some light coming in from street lights outside, and I was lying on the sofa facing the wall. And uh, I woke up, um, and I was just terrified. Um, I can't explain why. I just woke up terrified. Uh, it was almost as if uh, I was brought back to consciousness by my own fear, as if I was already scared when I was asleep, and I just woke up completely terrified now i don't know if you've ever experienced this but it's not the first time and i expect it won't be the last time that that has happened to me it's sometimes i wake up in the middle of the night just terrified and frozen can't move um so anyway i woke up completely terrified i couldn't move and i just got the overwhelming sensation that there was someone in the room behind me okay um it's hard for me to really get across to you how that felt. But at that sort of moment in the middle of the night, I was just completely frozen. And and I was like, um, how can I explain it? I felt like I wanted to turn round. I felt like I was in a battle. It felt like I was locked into some kind of battle or struggle. Mm-hmm. And the struggle was mental because it was kind of like, okay, I've got to conquer my fear because if there's something here, if there's something in this room, now maybe there's nothing, but I can feel that there's something there. So if I turn around strong and show him that I'm not scared, then it's gonna go away. So I've got to be strong, right? You know, imagine if you, for example, are faced with um, uh, a dog, like a, a dangerous dog. Now you know that you've got to show it no fear because dogs can smell fear, right? You know that if you if you show weakness then it's going to go for you. So you know, you know that you have to show some courage and strength to show it that you're that you, you know it shouldn't mess with you. This is what I was thinking. I was thinking, right, I don't know what's there, but I'm going to turn around and I'm sh- I'm going to look directly into the room and see that there's nothing there and and it's going to be okay. But I couldn't do it. I was physically frozen it's really really weird I felt pressure on myself I felt like I couldn't move okay so I lay there for a while with my eyes open staring at the wall unable to turn around having this mental fight of trying to get a grip on myself um so that whatever was in the room knew that it couldn't get me now that, is that strange or what is that really weird um That's very strange, but it doesn't end there because finally I managed to go back to sleep. I didn't manage to turn around and check the room, but I did go back to sleep. Probably about an hour later, I was woken up again, okay, but this time when I woke up, I was woken up by the clock, which was just on the shelf next to the sofa. There was a clock just there, and the clock was going Right, I swear, making that noise, and that was really scary because I was just thinking, "What the hell is that?" Um, All I could do was just try and grab this clock to stop it, and I was hitting it on the top. I was thinking, "What is this? An alarm? Maybe the clock's alarm was set by mistake or something." And so I was hitting the clock on the top. There was no alarm; it wasn't an alarm clock. I grabbed the clock and pulled it down onto the sofa with me, and it was going like that, really weird. And the hands on the clock, you know, like the second hand and the hour hand, were spinning round. The hands were turning really fast, going round and round and round. Okay, now at that moment I thought, okay, this is really scary because what's going on? Have I entered some other dimension or something? Is time flying by what's going on i was so confused and so scared and i just you know i was like hitting the clock trying to get it to stop pressing all the buttons on the back of the clock it would not stop the hands were going round and round eventually i pulled out the batteries from the back of the clock i opened the back of the clock and pulled the batteries out um, and and it stopped thank god if it hadn't stopped if i'd pulled the batteries out and it hadn't stopped that would have really freaked me out But thankfully, the hands stopped like that. And I just threw the clock down and sort of climbed back in, you know, back into my bed, pulled the covers around me. uh, Eventually, I got to sleep again. In the morning, um, in the morning, I woke up when it was light and I looked at the clock again and certainly the the batteries were out um, and uh, nothing else had changed. Now, how weird is that? But there is an explanation for it. There is a rational explanation for both of these things. Um, Let's see, the the clock, well, it was really scary when it happened, but the reason that the hands were flying around the clock is because this was one of those, like, satellite-operated clocks. You know you get clocks that automatically adjust themselves so that they're the correct time all the time? Well, this was one of those clocks... And the fact is that that night was the night when the clocks changed. So in October, we put the clocks... When do we put them back or do we put them forwards? Well, the idea is that we get more light in the morning. So we change the time we put the clocks forward, I think. So that in the morning when it's eight, it's actually nine. We put the clocks back. That's it. So in October, we put the clocks back one hour. Um, And... It was actually that night when the clocks were due to go back so this clock was automatically adjusting itself by um, going all the way around from um, you know like two o'clock all the way back to one o'clock or something that's why the clock was changing it was automatically readjusting itself so it wasn't like a ghost clock it was just one of those automatic satellite clocks thank God for that um, but then the other thing about me waking up frightened, and it hasn't—it's it, it, not the first time it's happened to me. It's happened to me a number of times before, and it may have happened to you. Well, this uh, this phenomenon of waking up and yet being frozen is something that happens to people, and apparently it affects something like fifty percent of us. Um, I can't remember the name of this phenomenon, but it's. Um, It's a kind of an interruption of a certain stage in our sleep and dreaming pattern. And it's when um, we're still dreaming and yet we're still awake at the same time. It's very strange. It doesn't happen that much. But the effect is that your body is kind of paralysed because when when you're sleeping and you go into the REM stage or the rapid eye movement stage and you start to dream... Your body releases a kind of like a chemical, I guess, which uh, keeps your body from moving. Okay, your bo- when you are dreaming, you might be dreaming you are running down the road, but your body doesn't actually run in the bed because it's being inhibited by the brain. Okay, now just before you go to sleep, sometimes uh, there is there is a phase where you start dreaming, but your body is not inhibited. So sometimes you might kick your leg because you think that you are you are you are going to fall over or you you jump up in bed because you feel like you're going to fall off the branch of a tree or your leg moves because you feel like you're playing football okay now that is because you're starting to dream but your body is not inhibited and so your body's able to move a little bit before you wake up but when you go into the full dream state your body inhibits itself so that it doesn't move and so you don't you know dangerously move around while you're dreaming but it is possible for you to break Uh, your sleep wake up and yet your body's still inhibited Um, and that's when you experience this sensation that you're somehow being blocked that there's something pushing down on you um, preventing you from being able to move but you're still sort of in a in a slight dream state which is why you might for example imagine that, that there's something there and of course it's very alarming and very frightening to be paralyzed and yet awake in your own bed and many people have many people experience this and they um attribute it to uh some kind of paranormal visitation people say that you know i felt like someone was sitting on my chest or that there was a demon or a monster sitting on my chest well in fact it wasn't a ghostly visitation it was just um a strange slightly rare uh, but completely uh normal um Case of something like sleep paralysis, I think that's what it's called. Um, I'm, I'll have a look when I finished recording this. I found a video from TED Education all about this. I did a bit of research. So I'll post that video onto the website uh, so you can read about it. So this, in this case, um, there is a rational explanation for everything that happened, but it was pretty scary, I can tell you that much. It was one of the times I've been most terrified. I think part of this is because of what I'd been talking about with my friend before going to bed, and like this idea of being visited by someone in the night um, in that very house stuck with me, and I started dreaming about it, and then when I woke up, with that sleep paralysis I sort of interpreted it as a ghostly visitation and then the clock thing as well I mean it was just a coincidence really just a set of coincidences but when those coincidences happen at the same time your mind sort of thinks this is impossible and I was close to believing that I was in the presence of a ghost or something very frightening but in fact completely normal. Um, So that was my frozen in the bed story. Um, What else? Um, Okay, I'm going to tell you about um, an experience that I've had um, called the Lapworth Walk. The Lapworth Walk. Okay, now, um, what's the Lapworth Walk? The Lapworth Walk is basically a walk that I used to do, that my brother and I used to do. um, And the walk was from the train station to my parents' house It's about three miles, about four kilometres, something like that. And the reason that we had to do this walk was because um, we lived in the countryside. The only way that we could get into Birmingham, into the nearest city, to go nightclubbing or to go uh, drinking with our friends would be to catch a train from Lapworth Station, which was four kilometres away from the house, and then take the train to Birmingham. And then at night, we would come back to the station... And we would have to walk from the station to uh, our parents' place uh, four kilometres through country roads in the middle of the countryside, in the middle of nowhere, to get back to the house. Okay, now you might think that sounds lovely walking through the countryside at night. In fact, it was one of the scariest walks that I've ever had to do. And I used to do it quite a lot and it would scare me almost every time, particularly the first few times I did it. So just to give you some context, I grew up in London, basically, for the first 10 years of my life. I was a city boy. Uh, I grew up in, in, in West London. And I, you know, I was used to living in, in a very populated place. Um, then when I was nine or 10, uh, my dad got a job in the Midlands and we moved. We moved to a big house in the countryside, which was quite different living out there on the edge of the countryside. Very different experience to living in the city surrounded by people. Now we were surrounded by fields, trees, nature, just nothing. Just the sort of mystery of the countryside. Uh, The town where we lived was, well, it wasn't really a town. It was a tiny village on a road. The only things there were a pub um, and um, a little football pitch and a few houses. And just to the back of this, this little village was just open countryside basically in the middle of that open countryside four uh, kilometers away was the nearest train station and this was the train line that went from London to Birmingham Birmingham being the second biggest city in the UK I think um, and the nearest city to where my parents lived so um, we grew up in this in this very isolated house in the middle of the countryside there were no buses no taxis out there Um, we didn't drive my brother and I um, so the only way that we could access civilization, pubs, um, nightclubs, bars, and our friends was to go via this station in the middle of nowhere. So it was fine going there in the first place. Mum or dad would give us a lift in the car, and it would often be a very nice drive through the countryside. We'd go out into town, meet our friends, drink in the pub, have a very good time, um, and then I, you know, either me alone or him alone or the two of us quite often it was me alone because my brother was at university and so i used to go out into birmingham on my own so i would be with my friends in the pub having a good time we would all go to the station to get the last train home which was typically at about twelve thirty, and uh so we'd be on the train uh, and my friends would all get off before me because they all lived at you know stops in in Solihull and other places. So they would get off the train before me, and then I would be left on the train on my own. So first of all, being in Birmingham itself can be quite dangerous because it's it used to be quite a rough place. You'd often see people fighting in pubs, crime, that kind of thing. So just being out in the city could be quite dangerous. So you have to be careful in the city. But then by one o'clock in the morning, I would find myself on a train, alone, heading into the darkness into the countryside. We would; The train would arrive at Lapworth Station and usually I would be the only person to get off because no one else lived in that part of the countryside. So I'd get off the train, the train would leave, and then suddenly I'm alone in this station in the middle of the countryside, okay, and I'd have to walk uh, through the darkness. Um, so I'm gonna talk you through the walk to give you an idea of why it's scary. Now, if you're sort of a macho man or a, a bloke who thinks he's pretty tough, yeah, you're probably listening to this and going, come on, Luke, don't be a pussy, mate, come on. Doesn't sound that bad, just a nice walk in the countryside. Yeah, fine, it doesn't sound that bad, but for some reason at the time, it's really scary. It is, you're on your own, it's just you and the darkness, you have gotta walk off into the middle of nowhere for some reason, that's frightening because it goes against your basic instinct, doesn't it? Your instinct is just sort of stay where there's where there's light, stay where you can see things, and where it's completely pitch black, it's probably best not to go there because you don't know what's in there. Especially when you're sort of seventeen years, years old, um, you know you you're, you're fairly you've got an active imagination. Um, It can be quite scary. So the first part of the walk would be through this little village near the station. And that was normally fine. You're kind of walking past houses. um, Everyone's in bed. They're all asleep. It's normally okay. You just hope that you're not going to see anyone. Because in the countryside, if you see other people, it's it's quite rare. So it's a bit awkward. So you'd walk through the town. And then you'd get to the other end of the town. And the streetlights would just stop. So no more streetlights. And you start walking down a road into the countryside, and it's just black at the end of the road. You walk away from the light into the darkness, okay? Um, and you realize, you know that you've got about 30 minutes of walking ahead of you just through, through the darkness. So as I've said before, it goes against your basic instincts. You don't want to walk into pitch darkness. But uh, I had to do it. So I walk through... And the first part would be a a bridge, a humpback bridge, so that this is a very steep bridge going over a canal. And um, so I'd have to walk up the bridge, and I'd always, always, always be scared that there was something under the bridge because you could hear the sound of the water splashing beneath the bridge. And you you can sort of see some things around you in the moonlight, Um, but then there would be large patches of darkness And you know that there's just a kind of open, dark space. It could be, you know, your mind plays tricks on you. You think there's something under the bridge, isn't there? And typically I'd be walking extremely quickly. You walk through um, uh, these open areas where you can see fields, open fields around you. And at night you can sort of see in the half-light often it's not completely pitch black when there are no trees above you. So you have a kind of half light. And it's very tempting to look out into the fields around you. But because it's half light, because you can't see things clearly, you can see these open fields, hedgerows, shadows, big old oak trees along the line of the road. And you start imagining things, you can't help it. It's very difficult not it's very difficult to stop yourself imagining that you're seeing things. And in fact, when you see things out of the corner of your eye, it could be a shadow, maybe just a hedge, but when you see it from the corner of your eye, you you start to imagine it's like uh the shape of a person or maybe you just saw something moving past your vision. Um it's very unnerving. Um so you have to walk through this area where there's open fields, you feel exposed. Um, I would often be walking very, very fast and sometimes the only thing I could see on the ground in front of me was the white lines on the road. Also, I'd be very sort of uh, nervous about people behind me. I used to get paranoid that people would be following me, like maybe some madman from the village saw me walking up the road on my own and decided that he'd come and follow me or something. So I'd always be like looking over my shoulder, paranoid that someone would be behind me um now the the other uh, scary thing about this was that um there was very close to the road um uh, an old house uh, an old uh manor house now all over the country in england we have these old country houses these big stately homes um often just stuck in the middle of the countryside and they would have been owned by sort of local powerful people landowners they would have owned all the countryside around the house. And so they're old, old houses, often sort of dating back 600 years or something like that. Um, And just nearby where I had to walk through the countryside in the middle of the night, there was one of these houses. And I knew it was there. It was just off the road to the right, at the end of a, a driveway, down a hill, and there it was, this big old house, very sort of... Uh, dark. It, the outside of it had become kind of dirty over time. So it was kind of dark, surrounded by uh, a pool of water, just alone in the middle of this pool of water. No one lived in it either, just an empty house. And um, it was kind of a famous place in that area. It was sort of the local old house that people could visit. You could actually go and take visits there during the day. And there were lots of stories all about this house. In fact, it's it's famous for being one of Britain's haunted houses, okay? Um, now, normally I don't believe in the idea of a haunted house. But when you're walking through the countryside in the middle of the night, in darkness, um, scared that someone is following you, what you don't need is the knowledge that you're walking right past one of Britain's most haunted houses, okay? I know that rationally you think, well, it's, you know, ghosts don't exist. But in those conditions, you don't need much more to make you really scared. So I would be walking past knowing full well that this house was there. And the point at which you're closest to the house is where the road goes up a hill. And on that hill, the road is completely covered with trees. So you start walking up the hill, And all the light from the moon is blocked out. It's total darkness. Basically, you're walking up through a tunnel of complete darkness. And that's really scary because you don't really know what you're walking towards. You can hear sounds in the bushes next to you, rustling sounds, probably animals in the bushes You just keep walking. You don't want to look behind you because if you look behind you, you see how dark it is behind you too. I mean, it's one thing walking into total darkness, but when you turn around and you realise that there's total darkness behind you as well, you're completely surrounded, engulfed by blackness. Um, It's a very scary experience. I mean, if you have ever walked through a house empty in the middle of the night in darkness, maybe someone else's house, and you feel a bit scared. Well, imagine that, but not even in a house. You're outside in the countryside. And just over the hill, there is this um, famously haunted house. Now, the stories of this house are quite well known in the area. Uh, one of the stories is that uh, a murder was committed in the house. And the the guy who owned the house, whose name was Coombe, I believe... Um, Mr. Coombe once came home from uh, some trip away. He came home to see that the local priest was um, like kissing his wife under the fireplace. So he came in to see this and he immediately went over to the priest and murdered him. He hit him over the head with a a metal poker from the fireplace, hit him over the head, uh, murdering him. So First of all, there's the story of this gruesome murder which took place in the house. But apparently, um, the wound from the priest's head bled onto the wood of the floor in front of the uh, the fireplace, and um, left a, a blood stain. And the blood stain is still there. In fact, they can't remove the blood stain. Uh, it's it's um, an indelible blood stain. So. <laughs> When I was a kid I had a ghost book I had a book all about ghosts it it explained uh, the origins of many of the legends of ghost stories it explained how um people explain the existence of ghosts, saying that, for example, if people die in tragic circumstances, sometimes the ghost will remain there if something terrible happened during a person's life, sometimes their spirit will be prevented from moving into the afterlife or whatever, and they'll have they'll end up um, staying in that spot kind of repeating the same actions over and over again. Other things were things like the idea of a bloodstain that couldn't be removed. And I remember that being in the book. Well, in this house, there was a bloodstain on the fireplace that couldn't be removed. And I'd actually visited the house um, sort of years before when we first moved into the area. We had a guided tour of the house. We saw the bloodstain on the floor. It's there. There is a bloodstain, like a black mark on the ground, Uh, still there after all these years. Um, and the owner, uh, Mr Coombe, apparently was a pretty bad guy, uh, a violent man, and um, as a punishment for this murder, he and, and a number of other things, he was eventually buried uh, in the grounds of the house, standing up. Now, that apparently is a, a punishment if you're buried standing up. You know, normally you're put into a coffin lying down on your back, and you're lowered into the ground. Well, Mr Coombe was buried standing up, so vertical, and apparently at the time that was considered to be um, um, like a great punishment because you can't rest. If you're buried in the ground vertically with your feet down and your head up, you can't rest properly. And so this is kind of the origin of um, a number of stories, and there have been accounts by a number of people staying at the house that they hear the sound of someone moving around the corridors at night. They can hear the footsteps, they can hear the sounds of doors opening and closing, and many people say that it's Mr Coombe still moving around the house because he can't rest in peace because of the way he's been buried. Um, Add that to the bloodstain on the the, uh, fireplace, and add that to the fact that this is a very mysterious house, not just because... People say it's haunted, not just because the owner is buried vertically in the grounds of the house, not just because there's a bloodstain, an indelible bloodstain on the floor, but also because there are lots of secret rooms and secret passageways in this old house. Now, the the house dates back to uh, Tudor times. That's sort of like the um, uh, 16th century uh, and the time of the Reformation. This is when the... um, There were many changes in in England, including a move away from the Catholic Church towards the Church of England, okay? And that caused a very bitter, very violent divide between the Protestant Church or the Church of England and the Catholic Church. And and Catholics were outlawed in England. If you were a Catholic priest or if you were a Catholic sympathiser, you would have been uh, searched, caught and punished very severely. Now, um, the people who lived in Bannesley clinton this house, apparently at the time were Catholic, um, um, basically, uh, uh, sympathisers. That's the word, Catholic sympathisers. And they, they protected um, Catholic priests who were escaping from um, the, uh, like, I don't know who they would be, the army, the police... Anyway, the Protestants who would come searching for Catholics in order to um, to kill them, to have them killed. Uh, the punishments for protecting Catholics could have been uh, to be hung, drawn and quartered. The Catholics could have been burned alive, um, that kind of thing. And so the house was designed with lots of secret rooms and hiding places. For example, there were, there was, there's a passageway behind the stairs which leads to a hole which goes directly down into the sewer where there is a space for Catholics to hide. Um, Other little concealed rooms and things like that. And apparently these rooms would have been used to hide Catholics. So when uh, people came to search the house, they couldn't find them. The Catholics could survive and so on, right? But because these rooms were so difficult to find and difficult to access, sometimes... Uh, the Catholic priests hiding in them would become trapped inside and they would die in there. And uh, apparently um, sort of a couple of hundred years ago, one of these rooms was discovered. It was excavated and it was discovered to be full of uh, skeletons. Right. So not only do we have a ghost haunting the house, do we have the owner buried standing up, Not only do we have an indelible bloodstain, we also have a secret room full of skeletons. Okay, now these are all real things. So imagine me walking up through the darkness, knowing that this house is just over the hill. Honestly, it was horrible, absolutely horrible. And one particular occasion, I would be walking up the road um, and uh, I looked back over my shoulder and I was very surprised and terrified to see a torch at the bottom of the road, a torch, a light. And I could see the light waving from left to right. Um, Now, bear in mind, it was probably about 1.30 in the morning um, when I saw this. And I thought, now, who, who would be walking now? Obviously, I've just come from the station, but there was no one else on the train. Who? is going to be walking up this road with a torch right now. And and obviously your mind starts to play tricks on you. You think, okay, maybe it's a person walking their dog, but why would they be walking their dog at 1.30 in the morning? And then you start thinking, well, maybe this is Coombe. You know, I've heard so many stories of this ghost who walks around on his land because he can't rest. Anyway, that was enough for me. I ran the rest of the way home. Seriously, I ran all the way home. Um, and I made it because of adrenaline kept me going there was another thing on this walk this uh, sort of uh, frightening horrible walk um, and that was that uh, one of the houses on the way uh, one of the big old houses in the middle of the countryside had a huge dog the dog was a great dane that's the type of dog that was the breed of dog it was a great dane great danes are the biggest dogs in the world okay and this one was huge And it was always very frightening when I had to walk past this house because I knew that there was a Great Dane and often the Great Dane would be in the garden. Now the the garden was very big surrounded by a a high fence and if I walked past this house and the Great Dane was out it would come running over to this to the fence and the fence never seemed to be high enough. And um, now uh, I'm kind of okay with dogs usually but this is like a monster this looks like a horse, okay, this dog, a Great Dane. It looks like a small horse. And often what would happen is you'd be walking along next to the house, um, along the road, and you'd think, okay, the Great Dane's not there because it hasn't come yet. And then you would look into the garden, and there was there was like a small forest, lots and lots of trees at the back of the garden. And you'd look into the garden, you would see the thing before you hear it. You'd see this shape moving between the trees, and you think, oh, my God, is that like a... It looks like a ghost horse, coming through the trees, and then you hear it, and it starts barking, <laughs> like that. Honestly, it's a, a, a spine-chilling sound—the sound of this huge beast coming, running through the trees in the moonlight towards you. Um, truly terrifying, and um, you know, you have to just keep walking even though this monster is just there on the other side of the fence. Um, So there you go. That's pretty much it. Um, Those are my stories. Um, I've told you about the Japanese running tap. I told you about the strange bouncing ball in Liverpool. I told you about the battersley clinton house and the lapworth walk i told you about the time i was frozen in bed and i couldn't move there are many many more ghost stories out there including stories of uh, ghosts on the london underground and ghost stories from many many different uh, other old houses uh, in the english countryside so maybe this isn't the end of um Uh, the ghost story episode. Maybe I'll do another part of this in the future and I'll share other people's stories of ghostly encounters and the unexplained. Um, I'm also very curious to hear about your strange stories that you've experienced. So please do uh, leave your comments underneath this uh, podcast. Um, Tell us what happened. Have you ever experienced anything strange? Do you know any good stories? I'm sure that there are all sorts of weird and strange things that you've experienced out there. I mean, England is kind of a mysterious place, particularly all these old houses and castles and all these old stories and our violent history. But I know that the rest of the world is a pretty strange place as well. Um, So do get in touch with your strange ghost stories. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Um, I hope that you're not too scared. I hope that you haven't looked in the mirror or that I hope I hope you haven't been too scared to go outside or to uh, get up from your sofa or whatever it is you've been doing wherever you are. Um, I think I'm going to leave you uh, in this episode with um, a little sketch from a radio show called Little Britain. And in this sketch, you're going to hear uh, two rubbish ghosts. Uh, these are two ghosts which have decided to haunt a man in his bedroom at night. The thing is that these ghosts are rubbish. They're no good. They're not scary. They're crap ghosts. Okay, so I hope you enjoy it. Um, Here is, just to end this episode, here is the sketch of the two rubbish ghosts um, from the radio show, the BBC radio show, Little Britain. I hope you enjoy it. Rest well. Sleep tight. Just watch your back, okay? And let me know if anything weird happens. You've been listening to Luke's English Podcast. Goodbye, bye, 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 bye. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, yeah, yeah, Ooh. W- w- What do you want? Ooh, yeah. Ooh, whoa, uh, Hang on a minute, who are you? Whoa, did you get it? I'm a ghost. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah, good night. Hey, hey. Whoa, I'm a ghost. Oi, don't go back to sleep, there's a ghost in your bedroom Look, just go away Have I scared you? No, you are just irritating Oh, thanks for bundle Look, I'm tired, I've got an early start in the morning But I'm a ghost <laughs> So? Well, you're being very blase about it <laughs> <laughs> Why? I mean, Have you seen a ghost before? No, I don't think so, not in real life, only on the telly <laughs> And you're positive you're not scared? Uh, do I look scared? A bit Well, I'm not Right, Mr Russell! Is there a problem, Paul? It is Paul, isn't it? Hey, yes, Mr Russell. This man said he's not scared. Not scared? Well, we'll see about that. Ooh. Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no I've tried that. Yeah, don't do anything for me. Right, Paul, give me a hand with this. Ooh, look, this chair, oh, is, moving chair is moving around. But, but what is moving the, the chair? chair? Ooh! No, sorry. Oh, Mr Russell, we've never had this before. Hang on a minute. I've got an idea. The door slam. I oh, thank you. Look, <laughs> I'm not going to light you, but that was really very poor. How poor was it? Right. We're going to come back tomorrow night. Yes, and we're going to bring Judith. Right. I'm so scary about Judith? She's quite tall. <laughs> <laughs> you spoiled it now. Thanks again for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, you can visit teacherluke.wordpress.com.